Dear God, this is the time of year when all the world uh, remembers uh, and thinks about that baby that was born, uh, a baby that was born not just to, to be a baby, but to live and to die for us. Be with us as we open up your word. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with knowledge of your grace. In your name we pray. Amen. In our society today, um, we, we hate to wait. Anybody like to wait? You know, when we go to the grocery store, we look for the line that is the shortest. Um, and, you know, nowadays we're often having to check ourselves out. But, you know, if there's several people in line, you, you choose the shortest line you hope. But you probably keep your eye on that other line that you didn't get in. And if that line gets done first, you're like, oh, I should have gotten in that line. Or you're at the, the stoplight and the person in front of you, the light turns green. Why, why does it take five seconds to go? Five whole seconds. And we get, we get impatient sometimes. Or uh, maybe around here, it's, it's the traffic, whether it's Battlefield Parkway or the 75-24 split. Whichever way we're going, it seems like there's some kind of construction, there's some type of, of traffic which is often slowing us down, and we don't like to wait. And, and often in our day and age now, we're, we're a little bit spoiled because of something called two-day shipping. And if something's going to take a week to get here, a week? It takes a week to get something from China? Are you kidding me? Uh, why does it not only take two days? We do not like to wait. That is what society has taught us. That is uh, our, often our mindset and our mentality. And yet in uh, the Bible, that was also the cry that people often had. We're going to start today, we're going to go to Psalm 13, the 13th Psalm. And we're going to track through several different passages here. And we're going to, to be reminded that the, the people of God uh, throughout the Bible often had a similar mindset to us. So we're going to start in Psalm 13. And as I said, we're going to have a text on the screen as we go through this, but I really, really hope and encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along with us. So Psalm 13, we're going to start in verses 1 and 2. It says, what's those first two words there? How long? Does that sound a little impatient there? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long, Will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? So there's a group of people who are praying, who are crying out to God, and yet in their, in their mind, in their uh, sense of what is reality is, they don't feel like God is, is listening. God, how long do I have to pray before you will answer me. How long before you will hear my cry? We're going to turn over to another chapter, another verse, Habakkuk. This might be a tougher one to find. It's just two chapters back towards the end of the Old Testament. I put a marker in mine so I could find it a little easier. Uh, just remember, you do have a table of contents in the front of your Bible. Uh, Habakkuk chapter 1. This is way down towards the end of the Old Testament. And we see a similar uh, cry, Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 2. The prophet cries out to God, O Lord, 
How long shall I cry and you will not hear? I even cry out to you violence and you will not save. This is a time when the kingdom of Israel is being overrun by by enemies. It's being defeated. And the prophet is saying, God, we are crying out to you. There is violence happening against your people. And it seems like you won't save us. It seems like there's a disconnect. How long do we have to cry out and you won't listen? How long until your promises are fulfilled? Let's turn over way back to the beginning to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, because God's promises begin at the very beginning of Scripture. Uh, In the Garden of Eden, uh, um, they're created in this perfect environment, this perfect place, and by the third chapter of the book, they've already turned away. They've already gone in a different direction. But immediately, immediately after that sin takes place, just like we talked about to the children there, that very first question in the Bible in Genesis chapter 3, God says, where are you? And the rest of the story of Scripture is this pursuit of God chasing after His people. And we, time and time again, seem to be running in the opposite direction. But time and time again, God chases after us. And in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, we see a promise that God makes. Way back at the very beginning of Scripture, Genesis 3 and verse 15. This is God now talking to the serpent. He's talking to the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And he says, I will pit enmity. I will pit strife or warfare, conflict. I will pit enmity between you, snake, and the woman. Anybody like snakes here? I I do not like snakes. Um, But there's going to be this conflict between Satan, that's, that's who the snake was in the Garden of Eden, and the woman. That, that's singular. Think back to your, your English days, your English class, English grammar. That's a singular phrase. And then it changes, and it says, between your seed and her seed. It tells us that in the Bible, there's going to be two sides. There's going to be a group of people that are following God, and there's going to be a group of people who are living their life in the ways of the serpent, following Uh, the serpent. And immediately after this in Scripture, we see that coming to fruition as there's, you know, a flood just a couple chapters later. But then it turns back to singular again. It says, he, one of these descendants on God's side, he shall bruise your head and you, snake, are going to bruise his heel. Now, which is worse, a head wound or a foot wound? A head wound is much worse. You can survive a foot injury. Um, you know, you might have to, to limp a little bit, uh, use a, a wheelchair, crutches, whatever, uh, but you've got a much better chance than if somehow you have a head injury. And so this is a picture of some descendant on God's side which is going to voluntarily place their head upon the snake, uh, recognizing that they were going to be bit by the snake and yet taking that wound so that they could injure, wipe out, destroy the snake once and for all. So that's the promise way back in the Garden of Eden. And so God's people, through the pages of Scripture, are saying, how long? God, how long is it going to be until these promises are fulfilled? The promises are there, but still God's people, they go through 
bondage in Egypt as slaves. Moses says, after me, there's going to arise another. They go through to the promised land, but even there, there's defeat and there's exile. Hundreds of years, thousands of years, these promises go. Let's look at a couple more of the promises. Isaiah 7, verse 14. This may be one you might read next week um, if you volunteer to read a passage. Isaiah 7 and verse 14, some of these Old Testament prophecies looking ahead. Isaiah 7 and verse 14. It says, uh, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. This is you know, a verse we, we read during this time of year because we recognize that the, the Creator God came to be with us. Emmanuel, God came to be with us. And that was a sign, a promise that God was going to be near. And yet the people could cry out, how long? Turn over just two chapters, a page or two, to Isaiah chapter 9. We see another promise here. Isaiah 9 and verse 2. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. The people of God recognized that this was a promise of something yet to come. And we can look at our day and say, well, it seems like there's a lot of spiritual darkness. There's a lot of challenges in our world. The people walking in darkness see some kind of light. There's a shadow of death, but a light shines upon them. And then you can look at verse 6, and it says, For unto us, here's the hope, in this, here's the light shining in the darkness. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We could do sermons, series of sermons on each one of those titles of God, and yet that is the promise that God's people uh, got, and yet they cried out, how long? Stay in Isaiah, and let's go to Isaiah chapter 40. We're just looking at different promises that the people of God had received. Isaiah 40 and verse 1. The prophet writes, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. And then we can skip down to verse 3, and it says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. In verse 5, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Over and over and over, promises were given to the people of God. And we can read them all here, you know, in five minutes. But as I said, this was over a vast expanse of time from Genesis to Moses to Isaiah Hundreds and hundreds of years, and the people can cry out, how long? Let's go to Malachi chapter 3. Look at one more passage here in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3. The very last book of the Old Testament. 
Malachi chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 1. It says, Behold, I send my messenger. Now, the, the name Malachi, the word Malachi means my messenger. And so it's a little bit of a play on words here. I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. There's a, there's a promise there. The, the messenger is, is going to come. He's going to show up. He's going to show up in the temple. He's coming. I promise it. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now turn over to Malachi chapter 5. Malachi chapter 5. Malachi chapter... Does your Malachi chapter 5 look like this? Malachi only has four chapters. That was kind of a trick. I, I apologize. Malachi chapter 5 in my Bible is just a blank page. It's between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But that blank page represents about 400 years. There's 400 years of silence that takes place between the Old Testament and the stories that, that begin the New Testament, the, the, the Gospels, the Nativity story that we read at this time of, of year. 400 years of silence. 400 years where the promises remain, but nothing else is happening. Do you know how long 400 years is? Now, two weeks ago when I was here, we talked about the pilgrims on Thanksgiving Sabbath. That was 400 years ago. 400 years ago was when the pilgrims were celebrating the first Thanksgiving. That's, that's older than our nation is. And there was this time of silence. But during this silence of this time in between the Testament, uh, there was things happening in other kingdoms, in other nations. Uh, you can go to history and you can read about a young man who was born in Macedonia. His father's name was Philip. Uh, Alexander, we, we usually have a little tag that we put at the end of his name, Alexander the, the Great. Uh, so he rose to power in Greece, and he conquered uh, the Mediterranean Sea, the Aegean Sea. He spread like a lightning bolt from Greece to, to Persia, to the, to the rivers of India, this whole vast region. He even conquered what we call the Holy Land, although it's hardly even mentioned. But then, Alexander the Great like a lightning bolt, flashes out. Anybody remember how old he was when he died? He was 33. He was so young. He, was, he had done all this by the age of, of 33, and that was about 300 B.C. There were other leaders in other lands. Uh, there was a young man named Octavius. He was the grandnephew. His great-uncle was Julius Caesar, and Octavius was actually became the adopted heir of Julius Caesar, so that when Julius Caesar died, he received that power eventually um, and became known as Caesar Augustus, is who he was known as. He became the sole ruler of Rome. He was called by, and apologize for my Latin, Divi Filius, Divi Filius, which means son of God. He was called the son of God. Um, and uh, as he ruled, he brought to, to Rome something called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome that spread throughout this vast 
region. He even ruled over Judea, and he shows up in the Christmas story because he's the one who issued the census that brought Mary and Joseph. He helped fulfill prophecy, you could say, because because of that census is why Mary and Joseph ended up in Bethlehem for Jesus to be born there. And so there were kings and armies ruling in other countries, but for the people of God, the promises of hope were still unfulfilled, and they could still cry out, how long? Now, let's turn to Galatians chapter 4, our scripture reading of the day. Thank you for reading that. That was well done. Galatians chapter 4. Because the cry of God's people was, how long? But we see that God was right on time. God was not delayed. God was not hindered. God was right on time. So Galatians chapter 4. We're going to read a couple of verses here. It says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. The NIV, if you have the NIV, it says, When the set time had fully come. When when the time was perfect, when the time was right, God sent forth His Son to be born of a woman, to be born in the place, at the right time. The fullness of the time had come, and Jesus was born at the right time. He was born at the right time. Historians look at it and say it was the perfect time socially for Jesus to be born because of that vast area that Rome ruled. Everybody spoke the same language. Uh, They could communicate. Uh, This message of the gospel, once it started to spread, It could go to that whole region because there was a common language. There was this great transportation that took place through that Roman Empire. Uh, They could sail ships across the Mediterranean Sea. That piece of Rome, uh, you could go. You didn't have to cross battlefields or into enemy territory. Uh, There's even a saying that we still use today, all roads lead to Rome because they had such good roads. Not Rome, Georgia, but uh, you know, there, there's still roads built way back then that are still in use. And yet we wonder, you know, how long is the interstate going to be paved before it has a pothole in it, uh, before they have to shut down a lane again to, to repair that. Jesus was born at the right time socially, the right time politically, and the right time prophetically. We're not going to get into all the details, but if you read Daniel 7, 8, and 9, those prophecies pinpoint that time when Jesus was going to be baptized and crucified, and so then it had to recognize when he was going to be born. So now we know. We know the answer to the question, how long? When the people of God cry out, how long? We can look back. We have the benefit of hindsight. And over the next few weeks, we'll probably recite and retell the story of the baby born in Bethlehem, the angels singing Gloria in Excelsis Deo. But for the people of God, for thousands of years, the story was about waiting. But, you know, that event has taken place. Um, the, the, The angels sang, the angels came, the birth of Jesus has come and gone. Jesus was born as a baby. He lived a perfect life. And then the the reason for him coming, he died on the cross for our sins. Salvation is won, and yet it seems like maybe here we are again. 
in this time of waiting. You know, this time of year, perhaps more than others, is about waiting. Uh, maybe you have something like this somewhere in your household. Um, got 25 numbers, uh, and so each day maybe you, you got to move this guy because today's the ninth, right? And you're counting down to Christmas. Anybody have something like this somewhere in your house? Maybe you've got the Lego version. You open up the door, and there's a, some Legos to build or some chocolates to put together. We even have, let's see if I can get it out of my pocket, a little ornament. Uh-oh. Here we go. So you move the little thing. Okay, the ninth. And we have just reminders as we're counting down because we're, we're waiting. We're looking for something. But then, you know, once, once Christmas comes, um, there's going to be more waiting because one week later, uh, now we're not counting down days so much, but we find ourselves on December 31 and we're counting down hours and minutes and then even seconds, 10, 9, 8, until you know, maybe there's fireworks or you give somebody a kiss on New Year's Eve as we switch to a new calendar. And then what? There's always something else to be waiting for. Next year, is it your birthday? Uh, anybody graduating this year? You start counting down to those big events, whatever they are, and we find ourselves over and over, always waiting, always wondering what's next, always saying, how long? That poet Tom Petty says the waiting is the hardest part. And that's what we often find ourselves doing because now we are waiting for the second coming. We're waiting for God to, to work in our heart, to work in our life. In Matthew chapter 5, uh, it starts off that Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. Remember those? Blessed are, happy are, and it describes different people. Blessed are those who mourn. Happy are the, the poor in spirit. Happy are those who are persecuted. Those aren't things that people are typically happy about. They're not happy about those things now, but they're, they're waiting for something in the future, and they're saying, how long? God, how long is it going to be? And in these days, these weeks before Christmas, it's often referred to the season of, of Advent, and it's about waiting. It's about looking forward to something else. And, and we see that waiting is a part of life, and God allows and even welcomes those questions of how long. We don't always understand the timing, but we do recognize that those promises remain. And those waiting, those moments of waiting bring anticipation, just like opening the door on the Advent calendar, just to see what little prize is going to be there for that day. Because as we wait... We're looking forward to what God has in store for us. So think about in your own life, what has your year been like, 2023? Think back 12 months, how has your year been? What has happened in your year? Perhaps there's been uncertainty, uh, confusion. Uh, we can never be certain of, of what God has in store for us until it comes to pass. We don't always recognize that God is near. Perhaps you've 
taken moments and, and you've read the pages of Scripture, but just there's seasons where nothing seems to connect. Or maybe you've, you've sung songs, but it just seems like, okay, nothing's making a difference. Maybe you've even spent time in prayer, and it seems like the prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling and coming back and, and not making a difference. But, but we keep at it, and we can ask God, as the people of God throughout time, we can say, God, how long? And, and we can give thanks for the promises that we have been given. And as we cry out to God, as we continue to serve Him, believe it or not, sometimes God does show up. And maybe one day out of the blue, you're reading your Bible just because that's what you do, even though it doesn't seem to be making any difference. But one day something hits you, and you're reading God's Word, and there's some tears in your eyes. Or maybe one day you're singing in the car, your song's playing, and suddenly you're singing at the top of your lungs and you get goosebumps because that song about praising God is suddenly becoming real in your life. And one day maybe you're just doing your prayer, just going through the motions because that's what we do, but one day it hits. One day suddenly you, you sense the presence of God through a, a peace and a still small voice because we've been waiting and that waiting is based on faith and that waiting is based on the hope of God's promises turn back to Psalm 13 we started there today but I want to go back there Psalm 13 that 13th Psalm it starts off as we read earlier with that cry how long O Lord will you forget me forever how long will you hide your face from me How long, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? But if we skip down, that's a cry of despair. But if we skip down to verse 5, notice what David says there. He says, but I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Even though we don't always see God at work, we can keep singing, we can keep praising, and even when we, we sense this passing of time, we recognize that God is with us. Let's go over to 2 Peter. This is our last verse we'll go to today. 2 Peter chapter 3. Because we, we wonder, you know, why, how long, what's going on? 2 Peter 3 verse 8, it says, just remember, you know, one day with the Lord, This is a thousand years, a thousand years, this is one day. But then notice verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. Which of God's promises is your favorite? Is it the promise of the second coming, the promise of forgiveness, the promise of the cross, the promise of healing, the promise of Emmanuel, God with us? Which of God's promises is your favorite? It says, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise. He's not slow, as some count slackness, but He is long-suffering. He is patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How long? When the fullness of the time has come, God sent forth His Son. 
And we have the promise, we have the assurance that when the fullness of the time comes again, that same son who was born as a baby is going to come in the clouds of glory to take us back to live with him forever and ever. The Lord does not want any to perish, but wants each one of us to repent, wants each one of us to come to him. Jesus comes just in time. This season teaches us to wait in anticipation, in expectation, to wait through the silence, to wait in hope of the promise. I recently read a book um, about Apollo 8. It was called Rocket Men. Now, just be beware, I'm a little bit of a space junkie, so I like following NASA and all the space stuff. Um, and so Apollo 8, you may remember that Apollo 11 was the first one that Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. And so a couple, one year before that, at the end of 1968, Apollo 8 was the first flight to take humanity out of Earth's orbit. There had been the ships had gone up, they had orbited Earth, but Apollo 8 was the first one to go to the moon. It didn't land on the moon, but it circled the moon and orbited the moon. Now, Apollo 8 was not supposed to do that. Apollo 8 was supposed to stay in Earth's orbit, but they were very worried that the Russians were going to launch their ship and beat them to orbit the moon. And so they kind of skipped a few safety steps, and a couple months before, they said, let's change this mission. Let's send this one to the moon. And so they didn't quite have all that they needed for safety, but they went for it anyway. And so some of you may remember, I don't remember it, 1968, uh, as I've read about it in history, was not a good year in the history of, of our country. In 1968, there was a war going on in Vietnam. Uh, there were protests about that war. There were two assassinations that took place. Of uh, Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr. were both assassinated during that year. It was not a good year in society. But on December 21, um, I think that's 55 years ago, if my math is correct, December 21, Apollo 8 launched. Three astronauts, Frank Borman, James Lovell, William Anders, they launched, they circled the Earth, they hit the button, flipped the switch, whatever they did, the rockets pushed them further, and they left Earth's orbit, and they began to circle the moon. Now, Apollo 8 is famous for two things besides, besides all that that I already mentioned. The first thing they're famous for is a picture called Earthrise. Earthrise. They were there taking pictures of the moon, looking at the craters, trying to line up where the, the landing site would be down the road a little bit. But as they were taking pictures of the moon, they looked up and they saw Earthrise. They were the first ones to see the earth rising behind the, the horizon of the moon. And so they took that picture, and that's one of the most published pictures of all time right there. They went to study the moon, but they learned about earth. They learned about humanity. They learned that, you know, we're, we're all, all on this planet together. Uh, we're, we're in the same place, even though we're different. We're still the same. We're on this planet. The, the other thing they're famous for was something that took place. They launched on December 24, excuse me, December 21, but on December 24, Christmas Eve, there was a plan to have a broadcast 
that would be throughout the, the nation and perhaps even the world. A Christmas Eve broadcast from the orbit of the moon. People wondered, what would these three men say from the orbit of the moon? What would, and they were given, NASA didn't tell them what to say. They got to choose what they would say. And I think we're going to listen to it. If we've got the sound set up appropriately, uh, we're going to try. If not, I'll read what they said. But spoiler, turn to Genesis chapter 1, and you'll see exactly what they said. So we're going to see if this works. Broadcast from the moon in 1968. Let me try that again. It didn't look like it played, did it? Hmm. <laughs> okay, I'll read what they said. So, um, I think when I shifted it over to the Google, maybe it didn't play the video, maybe. Okay, sorry about that. We should have tested that before. That was my fault, so... You've got the, the cheat sheet there. You can see what they did. You got the spoiler, but let me read it for you because they had a little preview. If I can find it here. Here we go. It said, we are now approaching lunar sunrise. And for all the people back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. And then they begin to read from Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And then the next astronaut spoke, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And the third astronaut spoke, and God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called the seas, and God saw that it was good. And from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you, all of you on the good earth. And so on Christmas Eve, 1968, of that awful year, that was broadcast to the United States, and that was broadcast to the world, and one billion people heard the Word of God spoken. Even in communist Russia, they heard that. One billion people were reminded of the creative power of God throughout the world. Now, this astronaut crew, as they arrived safely back home, they got many telegrams and, and congratulations and different things like that, but they got one telegram. And it said, thank you, Apollo 8, you saved 1968. In the midst of that challenge, in the midst of that strife, 
in the midst of that troubled year, when people could say, how long, what is going on in our world? There was a group of people who used the Word of God to draw people's attention to the Savior of the world. And here we are in a world of chaos. And we can say, how long? And yet we can recognize God is at work in our life and that God is coming again. We're going to close in just a moment with uh, number 204, but let's uh, bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear God, we thank you so much for all that you do. And Lord, sometimes we, we cry out and wonder, how long? What's going on in this world? And yet we have the promises. We have all that you have uh, laid out before us that we're waiting for. And we know that when the time is right, those prophecies will be fulfilled. In your name we pray. Amen.